But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> All right, let's reset the timer. Are you, like, making a list, checking it twice? I, I that- am, as a matter of fact. And uh, because it's have we time. even have we even been nice? Uh, no more than necessary, you know. Okay, good, good. Yeah, so I mean, naughtiness only. prevails. I know. Is huh? it is is this a lengthy list? It's not a very lengthy list, but it's a quality list. It's 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 not a quantity list. It's a quality list. It, it, am I am I on it? <laughs> well, the quantity part. It, you certainly would be. <laughs> There's a joke in there someplace. Of course, you're on the list, Jeb. Um, but Spartans, no, is is there only one list? There is only one list, and I am on it. And you are on it. Tell naughty, me more about naughty tell me more slash about the, nice naughty slash t- nice. Yeah. T- so it's a fifty fifty thing. That's right. That's right. Speaking of naughty and nice. Um, there's a, uh, uh, you know, there's just no justice in the world. There really is just no justice in the world. All right. I don't know. I think it's justice prevailing. <laughs> I don't know whether we're all talking about the same thing or not. I don't think. I don't think so either. Um, the barefoot bandit, our old pal, the barefoot bandit, um, whose name escapes me here. Um, let's see here. Where did Colton Harris Moore? Colton Moore. That's right. And oh, uh, there's your problem. No, right Colton there. Harris Moore. It's hyphenated. It's hyphenated. Uh, Harris Moore. Okay. Colton Harris Moore, the Barefoot Bandit. We talked about the Barefoot Bandit many times uh, on the podcast in, uh, in past years. Um, he was the young man who uh, repeatedly, not just once, repeatedly, <laughs> without, a, without benefit of any sort of official pilot training, uh, stole three, I believe, three different airplanes on different occasions. Um, managed to successfully, which is to say, live through crashing all three of them, apparently. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and it was on the run for, on the fly for two years. That's right. That was right. What, what are they, what are they, what's the slang they use on, on, uh, Hill Street Blues? Uh, not Hill Street Blues. Um, uh, y'all, y'all be, be uh, no, what? Go ahead. No, 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 no. In, uh, in, uh, in, uh, what was the other big cop show that I used to like that, uh, um, um, Let's let's be careful out there. Yeah, no, no. New York City Blue, 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 New York City. NYPD, NYPD Blue, NYPD Blue. The slang they used to use, and I don't know if this is real police slang or not, but they used to say that when a when a when a fugitive ran on the run, they said he was in the wind, which kind of applies here. See, you get it in the wind. That was a long way to go. Colton Harris Moore for the, for the results, but uh, never mind. Has mostly has mostly uh, uh, served his debt to society, if you will. Uh, I spent some time in jail and um, paid some fines, apparently, and uh, and is apparently still under probation. The, the reason he became came on our radar recently is that he decided that he wanted to get a legitimate pilot li- pilot's license, uh, claiming that he is reformed, and, and he says the right words, anyways. Who knows um, that that he made some mistakes and that now he really, but he really loves flying. And, uh, but he needed, needs money to get his pilot's license, you know, heard that story before. So he started, uh, what generically would be called a Kickstarter campaign. He had specifically used a a service called GoFundMe, GoFundMe, all one word, um, where he wanted, was trying to raise up to $125,000, yikes, um, for private commercial pilot license training and helicopter certification. I guess if you're going over all those things, it could run up to 125,000. And uh, and he was trying to raise money. He wanted all of his quote unquote. I'm making now finger quotes. Fans to uh, to uh, now. It's turned out this isn't gonna 
<laughs> yeah, his his probation officer apparently was unimpressed. The feds put um, the kibosh on this, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'm not exactly sure why. From the 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 story I'm looking at here, I'm looking at a story from the SeattleTimes.com, and uh, the the explanation here of why they stopped his fundraising thing is I, it doesn't quite make sense to me, but. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Should Colton Moore? Well, well he he still owes apparently uh, a lot of money in restitution. Yeah, and hundred and twenty nine thousand. Yeah, I think the probation officer um, or the probation office uh, decided that um, if he's going to be raising money like this, that it should go to maybe the restitution. Uh, but they have no. I, I don't know that they really have any way to force that. I don't know. But anyway, they put the kibosh on it. Yeah. And, uh, well, or somebody um, put the kibosh on it. Uh, yeah. Harris Moore apparently uh, shut down the fundraiser. That's the way the story describes it. And uh, and he says his dream has been crushed. Which well, that's who's going to hire? Okay, who's going to hire him though? Oh, I don't to fly, yeah, that's, to that's, fly that's, airplanes. Who's going to hire yeah, this that, guy to that, fly that, airplanes? It was crush it now or crush it later. Yeah, uh, it's like aluminum can that you know do a crush it now and put in a recycle or do I let it stack up and then crush a bunch of them at once and put in a recycle this just got crushed uh, early in the cycle because it was going to get crushed later I see I'm not I don't think that I mean I'm not saying he's ever going to get a job working for a fractional or, or certainly not an airline right but he could fly boxes for FedEx you know he could fly caravans for FedEx or you know well, well, um, well, uh, hang on a second so this guy has stolen three airplanes yeah. okay that, that's correct oh, we agree on that yep did he not crash all of them? Also, well, all three. Yeah, but he, he crashed. He didn't. Know he how crashed to fly. all three. He didn't know how to fly. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, you knew how to take off. It's like that. He, land he's land he's land. almost. He's almost even with John McCain. <laughs> in the Indiana and, and two, Jones. Two movie. more, he'll be an ace. Yeah, right. Um, so Indiana uh, Jones telling his dad. I learned how to fly. I never learned how to land. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, Jeb, this actually this actually puts into question a long-standing uh, you know, thing that you've said, all right? You know. Which is what? The, the the answer now is we can do that three times. <laughs> no, you can't do it with the same airplane three times. Well, so. okay. In, uh, in this sense. Yeah. But um No, no, the story here, the story in the Seattle Times um, they 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 touched base with two of at least they, they quote two of the three victims, if you will, the owners of the airplanes that got stolen, and one of the victims is definitely you know down on the kid. All right, don't you know he shouldn't be allowed to do this. He stole my airplane. He, he crushed my dreams. He you know I'm not quoting here, but that's basically what he said, and so he definitely is not happy with the, the, the you know uh, uh, Colton trying to do this, but one of his other victims quoted in this story got to know him while he was in prison all right and 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 is actually somewhat upbeat about him all right um victim by the name of let's see his last name is miller where's his first name here um all right yeah yeah i know i know yeah one of the one of the anyways uh, i'll find his first name but his last name is miller Oh. oh john miller here it is john miller uh um miller says uh 
when Miller visited Harris Moore in prison, I'm quoting the article now, the two talked about flying, he said. Quote, he's a smart kid, very impressive. I think he'll make a good pilot. He knows more about it than I do, Miller said. Heck, he's already done a solo flight, which I'm just like, that's okay. Um, noting uh, that, uh, that noting that is, is a requirement towards a pilot's license, the article says. I'm not uh, sure any of those three flights would have gotten signed off. Yeah, really. Miller said, in um, the one last graph from the article here, Miller said he was willing to donate to help pay for Harris Moore's flight school. So, anyways. Well, okay, let's, 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 just for the sake of argument, presume yeah. for the moment that this, this young man um, does get some money, does get some flight training, and, and uh, does get um, professional pilot certifications and goes looking for a job. What is he going to put on the job application with respect to accidents or incidents? Uh huh. You know, apparently, and, and and in terms of convictions, I, I apparently he's pals with the guy who represented him during the criminal proceedings, and so I'm sure he'll get advice and do these things right. He can't help but do it right. He's going to get caught if he doesn't. Um, oh, you meant as a certificated pilot. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I misread your application. I'm so sorry. Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I just don't think this is going to fly, so to speak. If the, if um, a tree falls in the forest and there's no paperwork well, backing it, it up, does it really happen? Yeah, there's, you know, and, and the one one good thing about this, okay, yeah. is 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 maybe. Um, he could he could think about doing ads for the companies that manufactured the airplanes he stole. Okay, I crashed this plane. So, and so, away. So, no, so easy to fly. Even an untrained pilot can do it. <laughs> the la- landings are a little iffy. <laughs> landings are a bit iffy, but we all have trouble with landings from time to time. But, but so e- so easy to fly. Optional. Even a non-pilot can do it. Taking off is always optional. You know? I don't know. Landing I, I, is always mandatory. What were, the, I wrote, what were the three airplanes that he stole? One of them was obviously a Cessna because it's refer- one, one of them was a Cessna Corvallis, which is the, the certificated Lancer um, uh, they bought. Yeah. But, but uh, I don't know. A year or so ago, I wrote a piece for GA News um, about an incident that occurred at my uh, home airport back in the day um, where there was a, a guy who was drunk. He was drunk flying an airplane. Yeah. And I, I, uh, and survived. He landed and, and he was promptly arrested. Um, but I, you know, I said, Hey, you know, this would be a great, um, um, advertising thing. This was a Cessna Skyhawk. He was flying. It'd be a great advertising uh, thing for Cessna. So easy to fly. Even a drunk can do it. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you, you know, you know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it loses something in the translation. But um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I wish the guy luck. I just don't know that I wish him luck in the aviation world, in the aviation industry. I, you know, what's what was the question on the on the infamous form? Have you rehabilitated yourself? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and. <laughs> Back to the group W bench. That's right. That's right. I'm scanning this article, another article about the uh, the thefts here, um, and I'm trying to see what the airplanes were that he uh, that he took, uh, and it's not naming airplanes in a jumping out at me fashion. Anyways, well, I love the uh, I, I love the uh, 
the, the links to which, quote unquote, his lofty dream are, are going, quote, I have the email address of Kellyanne Conway, he said, referring to President-elect Donald Trump's campaign manager. If it comes to this, I'll get this taken care of from the top down. Yeah. <laughs> to which we say, good freaking luck. Well, well in, in most things, we, 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 uh, we wish Colton Harris more well. Uh, stay, stay on the right side of the line from now on. And uh, I personally think he ought to be allowed to learn how to fly. And, uh, but well, he says he's going to challenge the probation office in court over insisting that he finish paying restitution. They're not saying he can't learn to fly. They're not saying that he can't pursue a career. They're saying before he spends money on getting himself licensed, certificated, yeah. and and rated, that he finished paying off the 129000 that he still owes uh, victims. And he sold the rights to his life story for a million bucks to get to Hollywood. So they're going to make a movie, presumably. They usually don't buy those rights without having a movie in mind. But apparently that wasn't enough to pay off everybody for everything. Mm -hmm. So uh, now he's working part-time for his attorney, which I'm sure probably is, is helping pay off his legal bill. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's out there, son. You just need a second job. What what is he doing part time for? What yeah, services? I, I wonder that are, myself, is, and I don't is think is he a, providing for his attorney? I don't know. Well, law offices have guys that uh, people who they, they call runners who pick up and deliver packages and drop sure. off filings. Sure. They sure. have people that uh, sweep, empty the trash cans. They have people that run copying machines and do filing. None of which are particularly legal specialty skills. So. You know, uh, and they don't pay particularly well. They certainly don't pay what a partner makes, but it's progress. So buckle down, dude, and pay off your debt. And then you can take all that flight experience that you've got and try to spin it into a legitimate job. Good luck. And, and, and as again, I, I wish him a lot of luck. Uh, certainly he's got imagination and, and drive. Um, I just don't know that he should be looking for work in the aviation industry. Okay. Okay. And on that, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm, uh, you've already started off on a foot. I don't know exactly where we're going to go with all Jane, this. you ignorant slut. That's right. That's right. And it's only going to get worse. I've looked at the list. Um, I've been out shopping for bag of glass, and I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm coming to you from high atop, snowy lookout point. It's actually snowing here this morning. We're supposed to get a couple inches, they say. And uh, as I look out, the window, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, you know, it's somewhat scenic. I've never had a huge problem with snow. It's the temperature. If it, if it snowed at 70 degrees, I'd be perfectly happy with it. All right, that would be nice. All right, um, but it's cold out there too, so. Uh, but it is, it's not unpretty, I have to admit, um, until you have to drive your car and scrape the slush off your wheel wells. Um, talking to my two good friends here in, uh, in our virtual hangar, um, parts of which are in very, very warm temperatures. For example, uh, one of my friends here is Jeb Burnside from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing, Jeb? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Looking forward to getting through the holidays and, and uh, cranking into 2017. Um, 2016's let's just say it's been uneven um but um uh -huh. uh, doing well the weather here as you say you know 
warmth is a relative term. Uh, um, it's a little chilly here, all things considered. It uh-huh. was 60, 63 earlier uh, on the... Uh, oh, poor baby. I know, I know. So, I mean, I got, I'm wearing long pants for the first time in a while. Um, well... <laughs> I just even don't even know how to be sympathetic about that. Um, you know, that's the no, no, notice I said notice I said long pants as opposed to shorts as opposed to not wearing pants. I, I, yeah, um, okay, thanks. You okay. had to go there. I, um, well, no, I'm just I'm just clarifying. I for thank you, and I so appreciate that. Th- those of our listeners who are auditorially challenged. Uh, uh, my little my little timer here, my little counter here says 21 days until I depart for Florida. So uh, three weeks. Here we go. Countdown timer. I, no, I have a little. I have a little thing that sends me an email every day, telling me how many days until notable milestones, and uh, and twenty one days till I leave for Florida. Twenty nine days until Sebring. Forty two days until Groundhog Day. There's more, but you don't care. Um, so yeah, it's uh, so. My, our our friend Dave Shellbetter uh, tells me that um, that the legendary Florida Bigfoot. <laughs> is 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 known to to be has been sighted in Mayaka State Park is what he told me. No, yeah, that's no, what he said. Be, that's what he said. And Dave Shellbetter would never make anything like this up. So uh, I, you know, uh, I'm sure it's true. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just wondered whether you had had ever, you know, I mean, I know you've seen uh, Big Bob. Have you ever Big seen Bob. Big Bob the alligator? Not I've seen Big Big Bob from the air. That's what I mean. Yeah, praying that Continental didn't let me down that time. I understand? <laughs> Continental, the engine manufacturer, not the uh, exactly. airline. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that must have been a thing. But uh, that was a thing. Well, it was a short-lived thing because that airplane was even was faster even than an alligator. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, at least out of the water. At least out of the water. Yeah. I mean, it, it was good for one landing, but. Um, <laughs> maybe two, if maybe, maybe two, maybe none. If you landed on top of the alligator, who knows? Well, it's on whether it skips like a stone. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, we just so hope it doesn't seen, roll like a stone. You you you've never seen the uh, the uh, Florida Bigfoot? Or... There's a a rumor going around. Yeah. That um ne- that he and I have not been seen in the same room at the same time. <laughs> Well, there you go, right there. That's you know, that's a sobering thought. That's but a sobering I, I, thought. You know, I want, I want to disabuse people of the, the uh, one of the obvious conclusions. I, you know, I'll, although that would explain so so much. That, that I don't know. Well, it might, but it would also leave so many unanswered questions. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess. But anyways, my other good friend here in the uh, retro hangar is uh, uh, is uh, talking to us this morning from the uh, the from the banks of the beautiful Ohio River. Uh, in uh, you're in Indiana, right? Dave Higdon is here. How you doing, David? I'm doing great. Doing great. You're, you're uh, having Indiana. a lovely you're trip. And your holiday annual holiday family visit, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, came out uh, Friday and Saturday. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had a long trip. Yeah, let's put it this way. If I had to spend that much time on an airline, I probably could have hitchhiked faster. But, yeah, got in on Saturday morning, uh, headed back on Saturday morning. Uh, been a nice visit, see family, friends, uh, high school buddies, uh, shoot a little pool, drink a little whiskey. Uh, all good things for grown-ups. Very nice. Very nice, yeah. And it's so and, and so it's Indiana. You dr- Indiana just north of Louisville, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, right across the river. Yeah, 
Yeah. So what's is it is the are winters there like they are in Wichita or is it the same or different or generally They're speaking not, not that different in generally speaking uh the uh freezing rain that uh made the drive out here so interesting uh was supposed to get here Saturday night and instead it we had thunderstorms and rain like uh somebody opened up a spigot then the rain moved through then it dropped to 20 degrees so we we missed out on the freezing rain on uh, and I don't think anybody here really feels like they missed anything mm-hmm. yeah well that sounds good hope you enjoy your time with your visiting family and friends up there very cool does the Ohio yeah. River freeze? I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry I'm focused on winter here and weather, but one last question. Does the river stay, f- continue to flow all winter, or does it freeze over? Oh, I've seen it freeze solid, uh, where we had uh, several days where the temperatures were in the low 20s to teens. Uh, it would, and, it, and it was fascinating to look at it, because as the temperature dropped and stayed down, steam came off the river. It, uh, mm-hmm. you know, water vapor came off like the river was on, uh, on low boil and, uh, the, uh, the, the freezing came during that. So by the time it stopped doing that, it was already frozen over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it can get, uh, pretty cold here. We get, you know, stuff out of, uh, the Great Lakes region. Right. And, uh, our snow here generally comes from uh, weather moving up from the south, real moist and meeting really cold air from the north, pretty much like in Wichita. So makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, getting back to aviation here for a moment, um, but still talking about winter. <laughs> took me. Uh, took me. I, I think I mentioned the fact that I was headed to San Diego, and I did in fact spend uh, almost a week in San Diego, which was very nice. Um, in one of my favorite hotels in America. The the uh, right there on the edge of of San Diego Bay, you can see the military ships going up and down the bay, and it's really cool. Um, took me two days to get home from San Diego, um, um, but you know it, it, the weird part about the weather was, and is we knew that there was weather back east, and and so we were all those of us who were traveling back from this job, especially towards the east, were concerned and were like you know paying a lot of attention to the flights coming out of Chicago, you know, and uh, and the uh, the morning of uh, my flight, I was going to go San Diego to Baltimore and then connect up to Manchester. And uh, I was watching on FlightAware. I was watching the aircraft that I was that was going to arrive finally in San Diego, all right, and take me to Baltimore. It was coming from Chicago. We knew this in advance. Another coworker and I were both on the same flight, and so we were paying attention. We said, if the airplane just gets out of Chicago, that's where the problem is going to be, all right. As long as this airplane manages to, to take off from Chicago more or less on time, it's going to Sacramento, and then from Sacramento, it's coming to San Diego. We'll be good to go, all right. And so it got off the ground in in Chicago just fine, all right on schedule and it's chugging its way across america and and it's kind of like got a little bit of a delay getting to sacramento but it gets to sacramento no problem we're thinking we're golden here this is going to be fine all right and so we head to the airport and we're going there and as we're as we're kind of like waiting at the airport for the flight i'm watching flight aware still all right 
and this airplane is coming down from Sacramento, down sort of the Central Valley, California, all right? And then we had heard that there was a delay of some sort, and I went back into FlightAware, and I saw the most textbook hold, all right, of this airplane over, <laughs> over uh, 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 oh, now I'm blanking, the name of the island just offshore from Los Angeles. Um, Catalina. Catalina, all right? There was this perfect oval in a racetrack hold over Catalina at least three times around you could see on the lines and I'm going and I and I posted on Twitter I, I, I snapped a screenshot of it and put it on Twitter and said this is not a good sign <laughs> it's like this is going to be a problem and uh, the reason was that there was what California calls a winter storm happening down there in San Diego all right and and it was and by New England standards it wasn't very rainy at all by Florida standards it was not rainy very all but uh, by their standards it was raining pretty good but more importantly was that the wind was doing crazy weird things and so I'm sitting at um, at uh, 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 San Diego. Um, um, what's it called? I want to say Mitchell Field, but that's Milwaukee. Brown Brownfield. Brownfield. No, Brownfield's the one out on the island, isn't it? Uh, whatever it is. San Diego. Oh, Lindbergh Field. Lindbergh Field. That's what it is. Lindbergh, Lindbergh yeah. Field. Um, I'm sitting there in the terminal, and I get on my phone and get into the mobile app and go on to liveatc.net, all right? And I'm listening to uh, Tower Ground, all right, at San Diego while I'm waiting, all right? And, and no sooner did I tune in, I heard four consecutive arrival flights go around because of wind. All right, hmm. they'd be they they'd check in um, to the tower. The tower would give them the wind. They would wait a couple minutes, and then they'd come back and say wind check. And the tower would give them the same wind numbers. All right, and they weren't like dramatic wind numbers. They were more or less. They were maybe maybe thirty degrees off the runway at like twelve and fifteen knots, like that. Okay, and uh, they'd come back. They'd say wind check again, and then they'd say we're going around. You know, and. Uh, um, and they'd get their missed instructions, and they'd disappear. Right? And one. What of them, was the? It was thirty degrees off the, the was, active was, runway. It was a bit off. I mean, it wasn't like crosswind, but it was. It was not straight down the runway, and it was. And it wasn't. I would. You sure they weren't dealing with a tailwind? I don't know. I don't. I don't. It's possible. The point okay. is, the wind was weird. Whatever it was, the wind was outside of their spec. Right? Because at one point, a, a, fly, a, a pilot checked in got the winds, um, didn't say anything for a while, all right, asked for the winds again, and then the controller said, so, you know, what are your intentions, all right, are you, you going to land? And and he, whatever the winds were, it was like, the winds were 11 knots, I think, say, just mm-hmm. say for example, the winds were 11 knots, all right, and the controller comes back and says, says you know, winds are a lot, right, what, what are your intentions? And uh, the and the pilot said, and I wish I, I should go back into, into uh, Live ATC and get this quote, because it's a great bit of audio. The pilot says, well, if you'll tell me that the winds are 10 knots, I can land, right? <laughs> <laughs> or or yeah. he said, he said, he says, if you can't tell me the winds are 10 knots, I can't land, right? And and the and the uh, and the and the controller just immediately said gave him the missed instructions. Just that was it, you know. And uh, so uh, yeah, it was yeah, you're not hanging that on me, buddy. Yeah, well, yeah, you know. And so uh, the controller stuck by her guns and said, "No, this is what the wind is." Sorry. And uh, so it was a crazy wind thing, all right. And as a result, there were all kinds of airplanes out and about trying to get into San Diego, and mine was apparently one of them. And then mine apparently. Uh, uh, started to run out of gas because they diverted to Long Beach to presumably get gas. All right, and then about three hours late arrived at San Diego. To, what carrier uh, was this? What's that? Carrier was this? Uh, I was on Southwest. A lot of these were Southwests. Okay. 
um, Southwest Big there at, at Lindbergh. So three hours late. By this point, we know I'm going to miss my uh, connection to Manchester, and I uh, and uh, I called my travel agent, uh, the flight department that helps us out, the tr- corporate flight department that helps us, and they confirmed that there were no more flights to Manchester that night from Baltimore, um, and so we got me a hotel room in Baltimore. And so I said, I'm going to take a chance. I want to get at least as far as Baltimore. And so we flew to Baltimore, and then... Uh, my flight the next morning was going to be 11 o'clock in the morning, and it was now today's the day when we know it's going to be snowy and nasty at, uh, at Baltimore, and so I knew this was a crapshoot. We woke up, we got on the airport shuttle, or the hotel shuttle to the airport, and, and the ice was caked on this, via, this, this van. I mean, like, you know, it's one of these deals. <laughs> you're in the, San Diego? No, I'm now, by now I'm in, Bal- in Baltimore. Right? By this now the, you're in Baltimore. This okay. is the next morning. I'm in Baltimore, all right, and everything's iced up, and it's crazy, all right, and it's snowing a little bit. And so I spent about, and that flight was about an hour, two hours delayed. Long story short, um, I spent a lot of time during this delay um, listening to liveatc.net um, on my phone. And it, it, it's pretty fascinating. I've always found this in the past. Listening to um, a, a you know, large or moderately large airport during storm, during some sort of storm event is fascinating. Yeah, it is. All right. Um, because listening to the, you know, the, the pilots and the controllers coordinate and, uh, you know, the, in, in Baltimore, the big thing was everybody was going out to get de-iced. All right. And, uh, and so they'd go out and, and apparently at one point there was like 12 airplanes in line to get de-iced. And for some reason, a number of airplanes finished de-icing and suddenly announced that they'd been called and had to go back to their gate and that was messing things up. And so Baltimore was kind of a mess this particular morning. Um, and, uh, you know. So anyways, long story, I mean, yeah, so my final word, my last word on this whole story is to, um, big tip of the hat to to all of the controllers and all of the pilots that I was listening to on the frequencies, um, you know, because it was a frustrating afternoon in San Diego and morning in Baltimore, and everybody was so professional and so controlled and, you know, and, you know, it, it was very impressive. No, yeah, no lost yeah. tempers, no harsh words, you know, um, lots of back and forth and up and down. And everybody was just like doing their job and moving airplanes around and, and eventually got me home. And, uh, so, so kudos to the controllers at San Diego and Baltimore and, um, pilots as well. You know, it was cool. I, I mean, if I hadn't been, if I hadn't taken so home to, long to get home, it was a really an interesting experience to, to listen in and, and check this out, you know, you ought to go on the live ATC, you know, even if the storm oh, yeah. is not in your area, you know, if there's a big storm someplace in the country, find the big airport near there and go listen in on live ATC. Cause it, it was pretty fascinating to listen to the procedures and, uh, um, the, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to, to, um, deal with rush hour and a, and a major hub or as Jack says, uh, uh, inclement weather or things like that. It's always fascinating to be listening to ground or local control at a, at a major airport. Yeah. Yeah. There's all, all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. And live ATC, they do some interesting things in terms of combining frequencies in a, in a, mm-hmm. you know, a pretty logical way. So you can, you can go in and listen to, for example, in Baltimore, I was listening to a com- combination of ground clearance delivery and whatever frequency the snow plows were talking on. Oh, cool. You know, and and so you'd be hearing, um, you know, coordination not only with the airplanes moving around, but with the snowplows, you know, like asking for, you know, it's like, okay, are we cleared onto this runway? And, you know, and, and negotiate, not negotiating exactly, but coordinating with the controller so that they, you know, would, 
you know, how long are you going to be on the runway? Are you going to do the whole runway? Are you going to do just part of it? You know, taxiways, likewise. It was cool. It was pretty interesting. Um, and I eventually got home. And my bag made it, too. That was the part that was even more miraculous. Yeah, but, uh, that's, that's, that's gratifying. So, anyways, that was my adventure getting home from San Diego. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as 10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. Jeb Burnside tried out some new pickup lines at the last press event he covered. That's such a tight engine you have. Back now with more Uncontrolled Airspace. What's going on here? This is, I'm going to jump around a little bit on the list here because some of these things all kind of come together under a certain umbrella, which is this will be our final episode of 2016. And, uh, and, and back in the early days of podcasts, we used to make a big deal about uh, doing something special, you know, year-end wrap-up kind of thing. We haven't done that in a few years. But uh, we were, you, you, the three of us were talking about this earlier. Maybe we'll kind of like talk a little bit about what were the big general aviation news stories of 2016. What happened mm-hmm. this year? Did anything happen that was important? Oh, yeah. Like what? Third-class medical reform. Okay. Yeah. Now, it, so... As the year ends, it's not done yet, although we just got, there was just reports recently that it's about to genuinely be done, right? Yeah, the word is January is when they're going to publish the uh, rule changes that uh, the FAA has to make to meet the congressional mandate of July 15, 2016. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, one of the story I, one of the stories about this I saw referred to it as the final. I think the headline was "Final Medical Reform Rule Expected in January." All right, and and that strikes me as being poor wording. All right, because it's not the final rule. Right? It's isn't it the NPRM? It's the proposed rule, isn't it? Or is it? Uh, they they can publish a uh, direct rule under certain conditions, and still they still have to give people time to comment. But Congress kind of dictated what the rule has to say. So publishing an NPRM proposing to do what Congress said is kind of a waste of time. Oh, okay. All right. But January isn't necessarily when when we're going to be able to fly under the new rules, right? No. Almost no. certainly not yet, right? That depends on when the FAA sets an effective date. Right. And they have a deadline for that, right? And that, but that's not till summer, right? The deadline that Congress gave them is July fifteenth, twenty seventeen. Right. Yeah. So now, did, so, did did Congress say they had to develop a rule? That rule had to be implemented and and the, this change available to pilots by that July fifteenth date. 
they said that they wanted the FAA to have the rules done in six months and for them to be uh, usable by pilots within a year. So they're 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 working on meeting that six month deadline for publishing the rule changes, which are scattered across a bunch of different FARs, and uh, then they can set an effective date if they want uh, that's earlier than July fifteen, twenty seventeen. Congress didn't pre you know didn't say anything about them doing it early. They just said you had to do it by then. So. Uh, this could be in effect as uh, early as 30 days after they publish the final rule. Yeah, but probably won't. Um, probably won't. Yeah, let me, let me, I'm going to look up the, the text of this bill. Let me see what we can find here. Okay. Um, go, go ahead without me. Okay. While you're looking that up, um, another thing that seems like to me it might have been a big thing um, that's been progressing at least during the 2016 was this Part 23 rewrite. It, is right. It, is that a thing? Oh, that's, that's a, a big thing. All right. That's a big yeah. thing. De- Jeb, I'll let you check in after you do your research. But David, tell us what's, what, what's the Part 23 write, rewrite all about and why is it important? Okay, this is another result, largely, of Congress mandating the FAA take action where the industry hadn't been able to quite prod them, the FAA, into moving like they wanted to. So in 2013, in the FAA Reauthorization Act of that year, Congress mandated that they would produce a reform uh, to Part 23 that was performance-based. And for years, the the FAA has mandated that you will take these steps and do these kind of mechanical things to qualify an airplane to be certificated. And that included things like demonstrating stall speeds at gross weight, different CG ranges, but also a lot of structural stuff. Uh, The new rule basically focuses on meeting a performance standard and leaves it up to the manufacturer, the OEM, to decide how to meet that performance standard. And a result of that early work that the FAA has been doing on this came back in April when the FAA issued an STC to EAA to use a Dynon D10 or a Dynon D100 uh, as a, a legal source for attitude information in certificated airplanes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've seen some other stuff, uh, Garmin's G5, come out since then. Those approvals were based on the FAA dialing back from the old way of approving equipment, uh, of, of, of issuing uh Oh, what's the word here? It just escaped my brain. TSOs mm-hmm. and saying, okay, you can show us that it meets the performance requirements of the piece of equipment. And if that stands up under our review, we'll say, yes, you can use it uh, in the role required. So the, the FAA has already been acting on a performance standard with the uh, Dynon and the uh, Garmin uh, approvals to go in certificated aircraft. And that equipment previously could only be used in light sport and experimental. So this is going to 
permeate the entire certification process. The philosophy being and the goal being that it will make certificating aircraft and developing new aircraft faster, less expensive, less bureaucratic, and leaves open how the manufacturers want to meet those performance standards. And then the FAA does its usual review of the paperwork and the performance and the flight tests it on its own. And if it meets the performance standards, it gets stamped and goes out the door. Uh, the goal being quicker turnaround on development and lower cost for development and, by extension, lower cost for airplanes. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question, but Jeb, are you there? Are you, you, I'm here. Can you talk about um, R23? Let's come back to your research on the other thing in a minute. Um, I, yeah, I can't, I can't really talk about Part 23, oh, okay. uh, except to echo everything that Dave just said. Okay. Um, I, haven't really had a, I haven't had a chance to sit down and look at it. I haven't seen any in-depth analyses of it. Uh, it's, it's basically new within the last week, and uh, I'm sure there's still a lot of people digesting it. Okay. Uh, I, and I'm one of them. I, I simply can't really talk sure. intelligently about it, but I echo everything Dave just said. But let me, let me well, in my uh, Avbuyer Biz Av blog on uh, Friday the 23rd addresses Part 23 reform and what it means. And this is for Part 23 aircraft, for those unfamiliar aircraft weighing no more than 12,500 pounds. They can be piston, they can be turboprop, they can be jets. Okay. But I think I think the uh, Part 23 reform um, e extends that weight limit higher. I think the new weight limit is... Um, um, I don't know, 17,000, 18,000 pounds. Let, let, uh, you might, you me, might be right there. Let, let me research that while I'm, while I'm okay. researching. Well, it let also does away with the, uh, with the, uh, standard utility aerobatic and commercial categories mm -hmm. and instead sets performance standards that you have to meet to do those kind of uh, uh, operations in these airplanes under the new standard. So there's a lot there to digest. Yeah. Well, and given that, you, that none of us completely understand it, let me ask you this question. Let me devil's advocate here for a second. Um, doesn't this sort of, let me characterize it as simplification of the standards, make general aviation aircraft more dangerous, less safe? Not if they meet the, not if they, uh, not if they are up to doing the job that they were designed to do. Uh, it's just basically a different approach to how you get that approval. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. And the user groups, uh, you know, from AOPA to NATA, NBAA, Gamma, uh, they all seem to be. Uh, very pleased with the rewrite as they've seen it. So uh, if there were problems with it, those would be the first outfits out of the box to say, wait a minute, this okay. doesn't accomplish All what right. we wanted. Yeah, okay, that's compelling. Um, say again where we are in the process. Has, has it been finalized or is it? Yeah. Yeah, they published the final rule uh, a week ago. And has it taken so, effect? It takes effect, I believe, in February. Okay. Yeah, let's see here. Um, part 23. Effective date, eight months, actually, after date of publication in the Federal Register. Oh, really? So not till summer. And, 
and let's see um, let's see if this has been published yet that's not right oh that's not yeah let me let me past 30 days It's not jumping. I'm looking at the Federal okay. Register uh, page uh, website, and it's not jumping out at me that this has been published in the Federal Register. The the copy of the uh, regulation, the final rule on the FAA website, is a final rule. It does have the eight months after publication in Federal Register date inserted in it. We are talking a maximum weight of nineteen thousand pounds or less. Nineteen thousand. Okay. Nineteen thousand. That's a pretty yeah, big jump, isn't it? That is. This is uh, these standards also replace the current weight and propulsion divisions in small airplane regulations with performance and risk-based divisions for airplanes with a maximum seating capacity of nineteen passengers or less and a maximum takeoff weight of nineteen thousand pounds or less. Um, and there's there's a lot here to unpack also. Yeah. As as I say. Um, okay. Well, um, let's let's revisit this in the future after we've had more yeah, chance to yeah. digest it and uh, yeah. um, and uh, it, it, what little I know about it, this strikes me as being a good thing. This this is. Uh, yeah, it, 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 all of the uh, alphabet soup and and certainly the manufacturers of not only aircraft but engines and appliances and avionics, etc are all very happy that this is finally a done deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've put a lot of time and energy and, uh, and, and your dues into, into this, uh, this effort. Um, and uh, it's, it's you know, another series, another in the, what seems to be a lengthening series of wins, uh, policy wins for the, for the uh, GA community uh, and, and the industry. But um, uh, it's, it, right now, you know, I can't tell you what's in it. All I can tell you is everybody thinks it's a good thing. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. Any other big stories from 2016 that are worth mentioning? Uh, those are two pretty good ones, I think. But uh... Well, so far we've uh, managed to uh, hold off a very focused and uh, scary attempts to uh, move air traffic control out of the FAA mm-hmm. for yet another cycle. Uh, so I look at that as a good news story from 2016. Yeah. And uh, we, are, we, we, we are wise to mention that with the new administration coming in, there's going to be a fresh run at this in the next Congress. But already the uh, uh, Senate, the incoming Senate members have uh, signaled that they're, they're not real wild about the idea. And... And another nice thing, the uh, uh, Government Accountability Office uh, in 2016 issued a report saying, you know, this isn't going to be as easy as proponents say. If it, if it were attempted, it would take seven years plus. It's going to be really expensive to make the transition. And the benefits downstream of that are really questionable, given that none of the other countries that's done this – as a uh, aviation system is large, complex, and diverse 
as the United States. So there's really no frame of reference available from what other countries have done because they're nowhere near our uh, baseline, mm-hmm. which I, I looked at as good news to hear hear that from the GAO. Yeah, yeah that is that is a good thing. The, the other good thing, no one's really identified for me, um, and I, I've yet to really see anything uh, definitive from in my research that tells me what problems it is that privatization is intended to fix. Right, right. Well, and yeah, I'm, we get we get you know, pushed I, out as this generic. I, oh, it's going to make it more nimble and and quicker to uh, to move to things like next gen, which have look at it. It's taken years to do. Well, that's taken years to do because it's a bloody complex system, and the airlines themselves still aren't up to speed on what yeah. they need to do to capitalize on next gen. And GA will be compliant before the airlines are compliant. The, the airlines are asking for waivers, and if not have already received them, certainly probably will for certain older aircraft. You know, at the same time, there's a lot of business jets uh, um, out there that uh, could need some significant investment. Uh, the way all of their systems, you can't just pop in a uh, um, you know, I, I guess you could, but you, you, it, no one's going to do it because so many other systems are affected that uh, uh, the cost is the costs are prohibitive. You need uh, a lot of different work on some of these airplanes because of the way the the systems are integrated. So, um, especially in the high altitude strata, where you're supposed to be able to take care take advantage of some of these uh, these procedures. So. Um, there's a lot of aircraft, uh, older jets that are not going to be compliant come the deadline. Um, some, some of the airliners will get waivers. Uh, some others, maybe not. Yeah. 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 There's, there's not solutions in existence yet for a lot of turbine aircraft. Uh, and there are, are a number of older turbine aircraft where the solutions exist. The problem is that there's a limited number of places that have the STCs, and they have a limited capacity for the work. Mm-hmm. So uh, that brings up a good point, uh, Jeb. We're coming down to 36 months from when the mandate takes effect. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, speaking of, of how things may change as time goes on, um, and and I'm going to bring this up. This is something that the answer may legitimately be. We just don't know yet. We, you know, time will tell. All right. But uh, um, President-elect Trump has has announced that he intends to nominate Elaine Chow, I believe is how you pronounce her last name, to be That's the correct. Secretary of Transportation. Um, and I'm wondering if we know anything about Elaine Chow. Apparently, she's a, an old hand. She's not um, some outsider. Um, as I understand it, she was Secretary of Labor for a long time during the uh, most recent Bush administration. Um, do we? Do you guys know anything about Elaine Chow? Does she have any? I, I believe she worked at she worked at DOT before too, as if I remember right. She might have been an undersecretary or her deputy or something like that. Yeah, um, and I would. I don't. I don't know much about her. Um, wasn't she? Secretary of Labor under Bush Jr. Uh, for the entirety of his two terms. That's wasn't what I that? read. It's something that was yeah. somewhat notable that she did the whole eight years. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, I mean, she's not a, a. 
I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm pussyfooting around here, all right? Um, she's not a wild card nominee, all right, is my point. Um, she's a serious Washington hand. You may or may not like her policies, as, as they, whatever they may be, um, but, but, you know, she's, she's a serious, you know, government staffer, right? She's been in the game. And, and yeah, so she was she was deputy secretary of the of DOT. She's been chairman of the Federal Maritime Commission, deputy maritime administrator. Uh, she's a White House fellow. Uh, she was VP of syndications for Bank America Capital Markets Group. She served from 2001 to 2009 as secretary of labor, like you guys said, uh, the entire Bush two. Uh, term, and she's married to the uh, Senate Majority Leader, which does give me a little pause, but probably not something that we, <laughs> you know. Um, so the the fall is going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, uh, anyways, um, I you know as time goes on, I, obviously the Secretary of Transportation ha- can have a big influence on on general aviation policy. Obviously, and, uh, well, well, strictly speaking, as a, a a serial observer and a former DC reporter, uh, her appointment kind of gave me uh, a, a, a moment of to sigh in relief that it wasn't somebody from the airline industry, that it wasn't another billionaire, uh, that it's actually somebody that knows how the bureaucracy works, mm-hmm. knows Washington, and knows what DOT does. Right. So on that point, I'm encouraged. Yeah, I, and that's kind of the way I felt, too. Um, I don't know, Jeb, if you want to weigh in on that subject. but I, I don't. Yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> I appreciate your reserve. <laughs> I, re- I appreciate your restraint. Um, anyways... We'll see. We'll see whether or not uh, you know how these things play out, and if Elaine Chow becomes the Secretary of Transportation, we will try to learn more about her as time goes on. Um, anything else going to be a big story um, in in twenty seventeen? Are we going to lose MoGas? Are we going to lose AutoGas? No, we're not going to lose. Mo- no, we're not going to lose uh, hundred low lead yet in twenty seventeen. I wasn't. No, not hundred low lead. Um, oh, I'm sorry. There's reports out there that um, so it's not a big proportion, but there are some pilots who choose to or in fact rely on auto gas, um, ethanol free auto gas for their airplanes. And I've seen a couple stories recently about whether or not the I guess maybe it's the EPA or some federal agency is going to finally take steps that will effectively end access to that particular fuel. I get I get the feeling you guys aren't up to uh, haven't heard anything about this. Story. I, I've I've seen I've seen what you're talking about. Uh, the EPA is is proposing apparently to in, increase um, the amount of, of ethanol in automotive fuel. At the same time, um, take steps to prevent sale of gasoline that does not have some content of uh, of ethanol in it. It, it. I think that's the the, the two sides of that coin. Right. Um, if that went into effect on a national basis, yeah, that would that would screw over um, aircraft owners who are burning mo gas because all of the um, all the SPCs that those air, allow yeah, it. Yeah, those aircraft that um, um, are allowed to use MoGas, whether they be as under STCs 
or as as part of their certification, a la LSAs, um, all of those approvals do not allow, let me put it another way, none of those approvals allow ethanol in that fuel. It must be un- unblended fuel. And if there is no unblended fuel available, yeah, of course, that might be a problem. Um, how that will get resolved is anybody's guess. Um, whether um, an unleaded aviation fuel, approved unleaded aviation fuel, i.e. a 100 low lead replacement, would fix that problem. Um, no one no one knows. In, in fact, of course, there is no approved unleaded aviation fuel right now. So, you know, what that, what that, all that means is anybody's guess. My guess is that the EPA will not, there'll be enough of a, of a backlash um, from aviation, from the maritime industry, from the off-road motorsports industries, um, that that will not go through unless and until there's some kind of an alternative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and the alternative, of course, is, you know, and one of the things that struck me about the coverage, my understanding is oil companies refine their product into gasoline, and gasoline goes through the pipelines and is delivered to the depots. And it's at the depot level where ethanol is introduced into the mix. Uh, sometimes, uh, even further down the distribution stream, it's, sometimes it's done at the uh, at the service station itself or on the truck that goes to the service station. So I'm I'm kind of scratching my head a little bit here as to why there cannot be some carve out for these special use uh, um, special uses to not have the ethanol mixed in. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like it would be that big a stretch. Well, I've been to gas stations where there was a separate pump that sold ethanol-free uh, 87 octane gasoline. Yeah, I I, I just bought some the other day. We call it, we call it recreational fuel around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah it, well, and it's in farm country and ranch uh-huh. country because uh-huh. a lot of their uh, gas-powered vehicles. Uh, are, are not approved to uh, burn ethanol even at the 10% level. Right. And uh, so I expect there'll be some pushback and like Jeb calls it a carve out. And one, one note, Rotax 912s of certain specifications and depending on the fuel system components, light sport with Rotax 912s are approved for up to 10% ethanol. Yeah, yeah some of them are. Uh, but that's, that's an exception uh, in what's generally a pretty hard and fast rule. If it's got ethanol, you don't want it in your airplane. Right. Right. But that that this is going to open up big can of worms here, and we are reaching the end of our allotted time. Um, the the problem with ethanol, aside from performance issues, which is a whole other conversation, has, as I understand it, has a lot to do with the plumbing of the fuel system, doesn't it? That's correct, and and the yeah. and various gaskets and fittings in the system and whatnot. In other words, the the ethanol eats up the rubber, dissolves the rubber, right? Um, and so, and the uh, the the STCs for certificated aircraft are all limited to, to uh, uh, models where there are no uh, vulnerable components in the fuel system. Right. 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 Yeah. Because yeah. So. Maybe as time goes on, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's impossible to retrofit every airplane. I mean, 
it's certainly impra- it's certainly impractical. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, not so much talking about uh, the financial burden, just the engineering burden. I mean, it, it, I would imagine it's possible, but agreed, it's not necessarily. I mean, it doesn't well, make financial sense sometimes. I, I don't you, know. You've got you've got a lot of different. <clears throat> materials to deal with in, mm-hmm. in typical aviation fuel system. Take my debonair, it has uh, rubberized bladders uh, in the wings to serve as the fuel tanks themselves. There are rubber hoses, yep. There are, there's a rubber diaphragm um, in the um, um, fuel distributor, uh, the, the, the base of the spider at the top of the engine. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these material and, and, and many, many more. There's O-rings uh, in the fuel selector. Um, it, I could go on. Um, <clears throat> all of these <clears throat> materials uh, can be adversely affected by alcohol. Um, the, the other thing about alcohol that makes it less than desirable as, a, as an aviation fuel is its ability to, to um, uh, I won't say absorb water, but be absorbed by water. Oh, that's or, right, yes. Okay. Whichever. And that, of course, you know, you don't want water in your aviation fuel, period, end of sentence. Right. Um, so having it sit get, in a tank it, over it, time. Yeah. You get, you get into situations where you, if, if, the, if the liquid in the tanks and the system is retaining water, you can literally rust, corrode steel and then aluminum components. Mm-hmm. That's never a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's definitely got to be some, you know, some, some way to fix the skin right. risk cat, and I'm, I'm sure there will be. I, oh. I don't consider it one of those scare stories, but it's certainly something that the EPA needs to be educated about. And we're not the only uh, fish in the barrel. Right. Right. There, there, there's, there's people out there now that if they haven't visited the EPA to talk about this yet, it's certainly on their calendar for after the first of the year. Yeah. 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 The, the, and, and this is not, I mean, everyone, I, you know, one might be tempted to say this is not a big, big deal. I, I've, Jeb, you don't, may not even remember this, right? But I have a very vivid uh, example of of how bad this ethanol stuff is. I don't know if you recall, one time when I was down there visiting, you and I were, you with me handing you tools, all right, <laughs> were, were, were rebuilding a carburetor off of one of your motorcycles. Uh, uh-huh. um, and, and as we were disassembling the carburetor on the bench, we got to a rubber boot that was part of this carburetor's mechanism, all right, and the boot was basically not rubber anymore. I mean, it was yeah. this, this gooey yeah. molasses kind of, you know, I mean, it literally, and we had to scrape it, and I mean, it was a mess to try and clean it off and, you know, and get it out of the mechanism and, and it, you know, and, and as I understand it, that is directly the result of the ethanol eating away the rubber. Remember right could, about that? Yeah. Could, could well have been. Uh, I don't remember the specific episode, but yeah, all that's happened before, and it will happen again. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I routinely have problems with uh, small engines that I don't use that often, um, that um, get gummed up uh, with the bad gasoline we have already. That's, you know, I try to keep alcohol out of that. Uh, ethanol out of those engines, but uh, every now and then it's just you know uh, hard to come up with with uh, non-ethanol fuel, and you know invariably the the systems somehow get gummed up. So yeah. at least from where I sit, it's a problem. It's a problem for for uh, boaters. It's a problem for uh, the off-road uh, motorsports people uh, in, in all the many flavors. So you know there there has to be some way to get. Uh, uh, compatible fuels. We're, we're, 
the, the, the alternatives are, are uh, uh, kind of stupid. So obviously, fuel um, in, in a number of different versions of the fuel question are going to be something to watch in 2017. Yeah. All right, all right, good crowd, good crowd. Hey, the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as private individuals. <laughs> yeah, their comments don't necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. <laughs> also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and... Fly that aircraft! Really reaching the end of our allotted time here, and uh, there's a couple of shout-outs. So let me say, shout-outs. Um, I'm going to let you guys think about it here. I'm going to do the first one here. Um, I came across a... Uh, so one of the blogs that I read on a regular basis, one of my other interests is is maritime stuff, particularly old sailing vessels. I'm just fascinated. If I wasn't an airplane person, I'd be a sailing person. Um, but I can barely afford to be an airplane person. I can't afford to be both. Um, but I read a blog called the Old Salt Blog, which I really enjoy. It, it both covers the history of maritime stuff as well as uh, modern-day you know news and, and stuff. And I really enjoy the Old Salt Blog. It's oldsaltblog.com. Story they published just recently. Um, the headline is The Wavy Navy, String Bags, and the Mighty Bismarck. And the lead of the story was the recent passing of uh, a pilot by the name of John Jock Moffat, who died at age 87. 97. Um, 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 John Moffat, Jock Moffat, was credited, has always been credited as being the pilot who, f- who fired the torpedo. Which, ult- which disabled the German battleship Bismarck uh, uh. way back when, all right, um, and uh, slowed it down enough so that the rest of the force could attack it and ultimately sink it. Um, and as a, as a nice little story here in the Old Salt blog about uh, this uh, event, um, and I, you know, I just I wanted to call attention to uh, to this particular. I, I and and of particular note is the airplane that he was flying. So apparently he was part of a, a technically it was a volunteer squadron or um, um, that were flying an obsolete biplane at the, the, the ferry swordfish. The ferry swordfish, which I'd never heard of this airplane before. Um, truly an obsolete airplane. This is just you know how how desperate the days the times were back then. This is May of 1941. Um, and uh, um, a volunteer squadron flying an obsolete biplane at the beginning of, uh, of World War II um, to, under which they strapped a single torpedo. And these guys would go out and, and try and aim these torpedoes at enemy vessels. And, uh, and, and this one, he was part of a squadron that was attacking the uh, Bismarck. And, and, and the, the record so shows that it was his torpedo that kind of did the key damage. And, and so it's, yeah, did he survive that? Uh, yes, I believe so. Although I think maybe he didn't survive the rest of the war. Okay. okay. Um, I don't hold me to that. It's, um, well, if he just died, he obviously survived oh. the war. <laughs> well, I, I didn't catch that part. Did he just die? Is that the is that the the punchline? Uh, is that the lead? Point, point well taken, David. Yes, that David Jack okay. that was okay. the lead of this whole story. Is that he okay. just passed Never away mind. at age ninety seven? So duh, yeah. yeah, he did survive the war. He uh, died at ninety seven. So yeah. So uh, but if uh, the airplane crashes on uh, on on uh, the border between two countries. Where do they bury the survivors? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, um, 
Interesting airplane. I don't know that I've ever seen. I wonder if any of these are even airworthy. There's a cool side view of uh, of a uh, swordfish. I think there's still a couple flying in England. Uh-huh. Uh, I've seen photos from uh, air shows commemorating World War II uh, from the UK. And uh, I believe there's still one or two museum examples flying. Uh, and it was a big biplane. It looks I mean, big. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's steel frame, uh, covered in cloth, covered in fabric, and yep. able to carry a two thousand pound torpedo, and a gunner and a pilot, and the uh, one, uh, of, can, one of the can, gunners described it as uh, the machine guns as one step ahead of the bow and arrow. I could do all that. I could carry all that with my my champ. Yeah, you once, <laughs> once, or three times, as the case may be. Or um, well, yeah, shout uh, out to Jack Moffat. Right. The uh, the uh, the the uh, so and the headline was Wavy Navy string bags and the mighty Bismarck. The Bismarck part is obvious. Um, the Wavy Navy is was the nickname of this volunteer squadron, and it came from the shape of some embroidery that was on the cuffs of their uniforms, um, those sort of wavy-looking lines. And so they called them the Wavy Navy. And the string bag part is kind of interesting here. Where is it? It's down here in the story. Um, let's see now. Where'd it go? I had it a second ago. Duh. So um, this is describing the uh, the aircraft. Um, they had open cockpit uh, cockpits, fixed wheels, uh, were terribly slow, and carried two machine guns, which one pilot described as one stage above of the bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, they earned the nickname string bag because, like shoppers' string bags, which I guess must be a British term, a shopping bag, right, with a string handle to them, um, they could carry almost anything. The story says. <laughs> Um, and on May 24th, the string bags each carried a torpedo. Um, so, uh, cool story. Yeah. yeah, they sent 15, uh, 15 of these torpedo bombers out for the Bismarck at wave top level. Yeah, yeah. And they all returned they all to returned. the carrier. It's a, you're right. You're probably looking at the same paragraph I am. Moffat's squadron of 15 string bags attacked the Bismarck. At almost wavetop level, despite heavy anti-aircraft fire, all planes returned to the Ark Royal, uh, and only one pilot and one gunner were wounded. So, cool story. Check it out. The Old Salt blog. Uh, 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 occasionally talk about naval aviation um, and talks about uh, maritime stuff all the time. And those of you old enough probably remember the 60s rock and roll song, Sink the Bismarck. It came out about the same time as the movie. You know, I know the title. I'm gonna we're gonna have to dig. Was that, that out. rock and roll or was that like pop? That wasn't the rock and roll I listened to. It sounds familiar, Jeb. I think you know. I remember the song. I I just I, I... okay okay okay. <laughs> Shout outs. Well, who's got another one? You got something? Who wants to talk about something? We're really really running long here. This is great. Oh wait wait wait. Real quickly, this would be my shout out. Okay, we, we talked about. Implementing the uh, third-class medical reform. Yeah. And the question became, you know, the effective dates and whatnot. So now, the way this reads is, uh, we talked about, the FAA has six months to develop regulations. Um, and that will be uh, January 15 will be their deadline. They'll, they'll probably not make that, but that's, you know, another topic. Um, but the bill says, beginning on the date that is one year after the date of enactment, in other words... July 15, 2017. Right. Okay. 
quote, the administrator may not take an enforcement action for not holding a valid third-class medical certificate against a pilot of a covered aircraft for a flight if the pilot and the flight meet through a good faith effort all of the applicable requirements that would otherwise be in place. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that right. last part. Yep. Um, so July 5th, come hell or high water, July 15, uh, we can fly without a medical in, in covered aircraft. Assuming all the other things, but yeah, that, no, I, I get it. I get it. That's you know, driver's license never having failed a medical. I think is probably one of the requirements in there. Well, and there's some other stuff in there too. You've got yeah, to see a doctor. You, the doctor's got to examine you according to this list uh, that the FAA has to produce. Uh, right. And there are still two or three disqualifying conditions that. Uh, you don't even need the doctor to tell you about if you know you've got them. So maybe sooner, but January, July 5th, one way or the other is, is the point here. Okay. Other shout outs. Are we done? Well, I got two real quick ones. Uh, and one of you guys could take one of them. Uh, uh, we had history made, uh, a few days ago when, uh, Cirrus delivered, I mean, really delivered to a customer the first Cirrus Vision oh, cool. jet. That's the world's first certificated non-military single-engine jet to actually make it to market. Hmm. And they've been a long, long time. And there were multiple contenders that uh, had single engines in play. Oh, yeah. And this one was actually shelved for a while. And then the new owners of Cirrus brought it back, and uh, we should start seeing uh, Cirrus uh, visions on ramps uh, through the year. And the second one was the participants of the Vintage Air Rally that replicated a trip from uh, England to somewhere in Africa, 8,000 miles. Well, it wasn't in Africa. But it was an 8,000-mile trip with nothing but vintage aircraft. And when I say vintage, I'm talking nothing has a single wing. And the yeah. winning aircraft was a uh, Travel Air 4000 mm -hmm. uh, built on West Douglas in Wichita. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cool stuff. Cool yeah, stuff. some really cool stuff. This uh, yeah, cool. just going back a second to the Cirrus jet there. Um, the uh, this is this has been a long time coming. I, I just want to call attention to the fact that um, we started talking about the whole subject of personal jets all the way back in episode one. Um, I mean the the first few episodes. It was this was becoming a big thing ten almost eleven years ago. Um, and uh, uh, as a matter of fact, we named episode number two was titled "Not Footy Pajamas." And, and does this make any vowels? You know what we're talking about here? Yeah, I remember the title. Because the acronym that we were using back at the time was, uh, uh, was Private Jets, PJs. Um, and, uh, and we made a joke about PJ not being footy pajamas. It was uh, something else altogether. Um, so, yeah. That was back when you were trying to be creative with episode titles. I still... And, uh, well, and that was back in the day when... Uh, the, uh, the, the 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 hot new thing was very light jets. Yep. Yeah. And singles were part of that category. And now we have 
exactly two out of more than a dozen in development at one time. We have the the Eclipse, which is in that it's a twin engine jet, right? Right. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's about the same weight category as a Baron. And now we have the Cirrus Vision, which is even lighter, uh, five seats and a single engine jet. So now you would not put the uh, Citation Mustang or the Phenom One Hundred into the VLJ category. You know, that's right on the that's right on but the edge, and they probably the do deserve to be in that category. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the thrusts about the VLJ market was, uh, uh, hey, we're going to have a lot of Baron drivers running around in a jet, solo, single pilot. Right. And I think we've seen that happen. I think we've seen a lot of, of Baron drivers uh, uh, gravitate up to uh, to light jets, to, okay. to uh, Citation Mustangs and, and uh, Phenoms. Um, there haven't been, you know, a whole rash of accidents. There's been that phenom at Gaithersburg, Maryland. Um, knock wood, it's working. Mm-hmm. Is I guess is the punchline. Yeah, yeah, good. It's good point. And the, the only reason I didn't drop them in there is because in, in the years since they started developing, neither Cessna nor Embraer has uh, liked labeling their two littlest models very light jets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sorry guys. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, you guys probably don't remember this. Years and years ago, um, as part of the ongoing story of Jack should buy an airplane, um, and uh, the, uh, and and I was getting a lot of pressure to uh, pick an airplane that I wanted to buy, and so I started putting people off by saying, uh, "Well, I think I've decided what airplane I want. I'm going to get a Cirrus jet." And so, uh, <laughs> as soon as they're available, which which at the time was a unicorn because it didn't really exist. Well, that was that was sort of part of my strategy. Right? Exactly. Um, exactly. And uh, I, I confess but, that perhaps at the time I thought that it might never happen, and so I was safe to say this was my airplane. I think so. Maybe, you, your your bluff has been called. It has way. been called. God bless those folks at Cirrus, huh? But uh, yeah. So, anyways, we, we, well, we, you we, could always you could always send them in a deposit. There we go. Sure, I could. Sure, I could. Jeff, yeah. Shout out. Are we done? You got a shout out? Uh, I, th- I think we've we've outed my shouts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, guys. Always fun to uh, get together. And uh, the shorter the list is, the longer the podcast is. Uh, yet again, uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Well, uh, speaking of Ab Buyer. Uh, about the time this comes out, the January issue will be on the street, and I have a story that l- looks at the uh, relative strengths and weaknesses of uh, parts made under parts manufacturing approval and parts from the OEMs and how they stack up. Cool, cool. PMA cool. versus OEM parts. Very nice, very nice. Where where can people find out about that on the internet and other things that you do? Avbuyer.com is where you can find the magazine and includes my uh, my weekly blog on business aviation, uh, which tomorrow we'll talk about the Part 23 uh, rewrite. And the following Friday, we'll take a look back at 2016, as we've been doing here. Uh, I'm Real Higdon on the Twitter machine. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, AEA.net for my work on avionics news. Very cool. Very cool. And Jeb Burnside, a uh, Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What's going on with you, Jeb? What have you been working on? 
Um, not a whole lot. Um, uh, trying to pick up some pieces that uh, I dropped along the way and uh, uh, get ready for picking up other pieces here in the near future. But gearing up for uh, the February issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check that out at aviationsafetymagazine.com. Um, trying to turn in a piece for General Aviation News, um, GANews.com. I guess it's General Aviation News, spelled out, .com. I believe it is. Uh, yeah, and um, also working with AEA for some new articles. Uh, so um, uh, Aircraft Electronics Association, or AEA.net. Um, let's see, the Twitter machine is Burnside J. And... Um, I think that's it for now. So, and yeah. how are you doing with the paperwork uh, in terms of notifying <clears throat> the authorities of my, my visit? Make sure you get that stuff in on time. And, uh, it's 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 all electronic now. Of course, of course. I'll, I'll, I just have to go to nine one one dot gov. <laughs> twenty one days, man. Twenty one days. And, and and the cookies they put on my machine, uh, I just have to click on one of them. That is labeled Jack Hodgson. That's right. And, and as we've discovered, apparently we don't even need to do the paperwork because they're watching. Our, our friend in law enforcement down there said, you, you don't need to alert the authorities. We know. We know. They're going to send Florida man after you. That's right. There we go. That's there right. we go. Hey, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can follow me at Twitter, where I am Jack Hodgson. You can learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to everyone who helps us out with this podcast, particularly Jeff Ward for his help in the show notes and in the forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan and to Royce Earl and to Jim Goldman and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP Disclaimer Clips. Please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. You can get all the details about that at patreon.com slash uncontrolledairspace. And while you're at it, go into iTunes and give us a review. Check some uh, thumbs-ups and stars and stuff like that. It really helps get the word out about the podcast. Uh, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, class, the letter G, and then airspace. And you never know what might turn up there. And uh, you can listen to uh, UCAP in the free section of Sporty's Pilot Shop's mobile app, Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporty's content. Get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at uh, the UCAP Swag Shop. It's a little too late for Christmas, but, you know, um, you know, uh, we need, uh, you know, this should be a, a, a Groundhog make, Day gift. Make a great New Year's present. There you go. That's at the UCAP Swag Shop at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. Uh, and don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. There's 10 years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads available there. And last but not least, check, chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, something you were going to say? Yeah, first thing I'm going to say is thanks to all you listeners for uh, an amazing 10 years hope you have the happiest of holidays when you hear this and a great 2017 and if you want to keep going and going and going go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan bye bye and that's enough talking let's go flying happy holidays merry christmas whatever blows your skirt up Uh, and to all of our listeners thank you both for listening and a happy hanukkah (laughs) 